continuing with the hard sayings of Jesus, um, I want to preface this by saying, y'all may hear this sermon today, or this actually the scripture read today, and go, wow, that's, that's not that hard a saying, because that's what we in this church know. It may be what you know, but you're going to have to dig a little bit deeper and be honest with yourselves. Nobody is going to point a finger at you, but I would dare say that I'm going to challenge you to take a little longer look in that mirror and ask you to ask yourself these questions that Jesus is raising. Starting with the 15th chapter of Luke with the first verse. By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. The Pharisees and religious scholars were not pleased. No, they were not pleased at all. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends, and their grumbling triggered a story. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one. Wouldn't you leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the lost one until you found it? And when you found it, you can be sure you would put it across your shoulders rejoicing. And when you got home, call your friends and neighbors saying, celebrate with me, I have found my lost sheep. Count on it. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner rescued life than over 99 people in no need of rescue. Ow. Heroes all around. Well, you know, now Ogilvy, uh, the author of the book whom we're basing this on, picked out that last sentence as, as, as being what makes this a hard saying of Jesus. And that the fact that he says, look, you're going to go out and find the one lost sheep and there's more rejoicing in heaven over that than the people who have stayed where they were supposed to stay and did all the work that they were supposed to do. Amen. Hallelujah. And don't tell me that we don't have that thought in our heads most of the time. Think about the next time you're looking at somebody at your workplace that's not doing the job that they're supposed to be doing. And they get the promotion. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> or, in my case, where you go out and you work those games, you, you umpire, you never, never argue about an assignment, and then along comes the championship game, and you don't get assigned. And yet you look out on the field, and one of the guys that have done nothing but bitch the entire time they were there is standing out there getting it done. See, when I said that you got to look in the mirror a little bit closer over this story, and that's what Ogilvy was at, was because he understands that what human beings are about is we have a tendency to deflect a lot of stuff. We have a tendency not to want to look at ourselves. Amen? It is much easier to point the finger. Right? 
I remember when the whole AIDS crisis started. And I've and I've I've shared with this congregation that my first church in Toledo, one of our uh, members of that church uh, was afflicted with with the virus and every opportunistic infection that come along he got. And it would end up in a hospital stay and you would get over to the hospital. I told you the story. I almost got arrested the first time I went because I had all these signs that said you had to practically put on a hazmat suit to go in the room. And then when I get into the room to find out that they had not cleaned up that room since he had been in the hospital. They had not changed his bed linings. They had not come and got the food. The food was sitting outside. Yeah. I mean, it was unbelievable. Well, in the process of his last stay in the hospital, one of the things that happened to him was he got, I call it mind dyslexia. You all know what dyslexia is, right? It's when people can't read the end of the sentences because your eye and brain kind of reverse everything. And so you have to do these mental exercises to learn how to be able to read. Well, his mind was in this big ball of dyslexia because he would be laying in his bed, right? And he would sit there and look at you and go, this is not right. He wasn't facing right in the bed. And of course, that was all the tubing that they had in him. That wasn't right. He would walk into the bathroom to go to the bathroom and because the door opened out, to go in, when he come back out and the door opened out, as he came out of the bathroom, he was now in the wrong room. They literally, at one point, he got so agitated that they had to strap him to the bed to keep him from hurting himself. And I want to tell you, when they strapped him to the bed, they were in full hazmat mode. Right before he died, the day he died, he had started talking about it not being right. Laying in the bed for every waking moment. Think about this. It's not right. 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 Are you tired yet? This was all of his waking moments. On that day, I was there for the last couple of hours. And that's all he would say. The nurses had finally tuned him out. And his partner comes walking in at 5 o'clock, as he did every day, to spend time with him. He came in. He put his hand on his hand. And at that moment, Terry stopped. And he looked at John, and he said, you know, it's not right. I can't remember. I don't know what's going on. But I do remember that I love you. And with that, he took a breath and he died. We were hanging around with a sinner, according to the church, according to those know-it-alls about disease and God's disease, that God somehow punishes people with disease. So understand that this story, I think, is more than just 
more than just that last sentence. I think that it's a story, a combination of all three stories, because you caught what was said at the beginning. The Pharisees and religious scholars were not pleased, not pleased at all. They growled. He takes sinners in and eats meals with them, treating them like they were old friends. I have a question for y'all. As a people of faith, what the hell are we supposed to be doing? Are we not taught in the Ten Commandments that we're not supposed to kill? Are we not taught that we're supposed to honor our mother and father? Are we not taught that love and forgiveness is about where it is? And yet we live in a society that every day we hear another story about somebody that's being put out to the side and being judged because they don't come up to somebody's standards. I think, personally, when Jesus heard the Pharisees grumbling, that he'd had enough. An absolute enough. And you know, Jesus is an absolute genius. Because he really did a three-point sermon. The first one was about their property. Hey, sheep are smelly, they're dirty, and they're dumb. Amen? And they can taste delicious. <laughs> but they're dirty, they're smelly, and they're dumb. And the shepherds that watched them were what? Dirty, smelly, and dumb. So it doesn't surprise me that he uses them as the first example. Because how do sheep wander off? How do they get lost to begin with? Because we all know, you've, you've heard that old saying, are you a sheep? Are you going to follow? They follow the leader wherever. Well, sometimes, just like we do in life, get drawn off by different little temptations, i.e. it might be booze, it might be pornography, it might be TV, it might be a book, something pulls our attention away from the rest of the group, and we wander off. I remember one of the best sermons that I have ever heard in my life was when I was a part of MCC and there was a pastor by the name of Reverend Frieda Smith. Man, could that woman preach. And she told a story about the lost sheep, and she entitled it Purple Grass. And it was for our community, but she did a wonderful job of explaining how that one sheep managed to get lost. And in this particular case, it got lost because while all the other sheep liked green grass, this particular sheep only liked purple grass and wandered off in search of purple grass. Right. Now, you know, the sheep leaders went to that little sheep and said, no, 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 you cannot be eating purple grass. The great shepherd will not like that. Sheep eat green grass. You have to stay with the flock. You cannot continue to eat purple grass. You will be cut out from the flock. And yet everywhere this flock went, as Reverend Frieda talked, 
it went in search of purple grass. So sometimes it would get way away from the flock. And as she begins to wrap up the sermon, she talks about the good shepherd showing up. And we all know who the good shepherd is, amen? And we all know that that sheep that likes purple grass is what? People that we know in our life that don't fit the standard definition of being okay. Whether you be gay, transgender, maybe you're black, maybe you're Muslim, maybe you're Buddhist. Whatever it is, you don't fit the definition. And the good shepherd shows up and out of all those sheep immediately says, Where's, where's the little one? And they go, ah, oh, we don't worry about him. We've tried to convince him. He likes purple grass. He doesn't follow any of the rules. He, he wanders away from the flock. He'll eventually come back. And the good shepherd goes and looks for the sheep. And there he finds him, right near a cliff, trying to get that purple grass. It's grown out of the cliffside. Those of you who have faced racist issues, think about how many cliffsides you've been by. Those of you who are transgender, think of how many cliffsides you've been by just trying to be who you are. Those of you who have been with those who have wanted to come to this country to get some purple grass because they get killed in their own country for doing it. And there's the shepherd going, what are you doing? Why are you out here so close to the cliff? Well, I, I, I got to tell you, I don't like green grass. I like purple grass. Okay. Well, the sheep leaders told me that the good shepherd would not love me and would cut me out from the flock if I continued to eat purple grass. I can't help it. I like purple grass. And the good shepherd looked at that little sheep and said, who told you that I would not love you? Freeze that for a moment, folks. Who is it? that is telling you that God will not love you. Jesus says very clearly that what sustains us is important. He talks about the coin, and you've heard me talk about, you know, the coin was what? The worth, the money. And you're going to go look for that. My God, I know I did. Yesterday, I needed newspaper for the bottom of the bird cage. And we have this little jar in our living room that we throw change in. I went and found $1.75 and change. You know how much that paper is on Saturday? Yep. Do you not know that I looked in every drawer in the house looking for an extra quarter? I even pulled up the couch seats looking for that extra core. I can relate. Do you not do the same thing with your faith? Have you not spent an eternity looking for that one thing that will tell you that God loves you unconditionally despite 
what everybody else is saying. And then, of course, Jesus wraps it up with the story of the prodigal son, which, you know, my humble opinion, if you really pay attention to this story, should change theology forever. It blows away confession. It blows away an angry God. I'm telling you that if you read these three stories together, that you ought to vomit anytime somebody says that God is killing people because he's not happy with their behavior. Oh, don't look at me like that. You know. What's his name? Sits there on TV, talks about every damn hurricane, blames it on us. So, count on it. There is more joy in heaven over one sinner rescued than the 99 who don't need rescuing. Does that mean that if you were a goody two-shoes, that you've never made any mistakes, that you've always loved God, that you've always gone to Sunday school, that you've done all those things that you're supposed to do, that somehow God loves the one more than you. Don't be ridiculous. Because the father, in the story of the prodigal son, said it best to the son who was irritated when he said, look, you have always been with me. You have always been in relationship with me. But this one was dead and they're alive. Brothers and sisters, what makes this as a hard saying is that it really is true. We don't get to exact revenge. It really is true that God wants everybody, everybody in the arms of the Creator. God bless you.